0: Good morning everybody, good to be back with you, um, so I hope you've got your Bibles with you and I, I uh, put a little outline together, I wasn't able to get it to Yvonne in time but uh, I brought one down and we surreptitiously slipped it into the bulletin to make it look like I was more organised than I really was, so uh, um, I hope you have got one of those and you might find it helpful to follow along, but we're starting today a series on the book of Ephesians Um, a while ago we were talking about what we might do after we'd finished looking at some psalms and Hans suggested what about Ephesians so we all thought that was a good idea so here we are so let's pray and then we'll uh, read a little bit of chapter one and then we'll think about it together let's give uh, let's pray Uh, loving heavenly father we come to you now expectantly we pray that you would uh, speak to us through this word that you've uh, granted uh, the apostle Paul by your holy spirit Uh, we pray that you would guide us to help us understand what we're to make of it in Mafra today. Uh, So please uh, speak to us afresh um, and uh, grant that we would take these things to heart and live in the light of them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Ephesians chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus... was sealed with the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory have you heard the uh, if you know the poem the rhyme of the ancient Mariner have you ever come across that one I haven't read it either, but I know about it. But, uh, it was written by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, one of the great poets of the English language. He said Ephesians is the divinest composition ever written by a human. He thought it was pretty special. John Calvin, the great French reformer, uh, one of the, uh, one of the great architects of the Protestant Reformation, uh, Ephesians was his favourite book. Do you ever sort of stop and think for a moment that the Bible is actually literature? But I hope you're a reader. It's good to read, isn't it? You're never alone with a book. A book's a mental workout. That's what I used to tell my kids at school. Um, you know, you go to the gym for your muscles, you go to a book for your brains. Um, the Bible is literature. It's been written carefully by people who knew how to use words. It's different from all other books in that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author. But Ephesians is a majestic book. If you read this without your heart being stirred we'll check your pulse because there's some w- great and wonderful truths here and um, as I was trying to nail down what I thought I'd talk about today I thought this could go forever because there's just so much in the yeah who said that thanks Mel yeah so I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll use Mel as my gauge he'll be my barometer but the thing is one of the things about being a preacher is you really only get one go at it. Like, I won't preach Ephesians chapter 1 to you people again anytime soon. And yet there's so much in here that seems so important. And I think, oh, I don't want to leave that bit out. I'll be shortchanging changing There's bound to be someone who will want to know why I skipped that bit. You know, So there's just so much so much meat in this so many great great truths that deserve to be explored and meditated on so can I ask that you read the book of Ephesians sometime this week sit down it'll only take it's only five pages if you I printed it out on an A4 document it's only four and a half pages long if if you read it without taking a break it'll take you about 20 minutes probably although you'll want to take a bit longer because you want to sort of stop and meditate but read it a few times and, and and see the themes that are running through it these are letters uh, they were meant to be read in one go. Do you think when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus that they got up and read 14 verses and said, now come back next week and we'll read the next bit, right? They, they read the whole thing. It was meant to be read in one go. Now, there's just so much in it that we're going to sort of try to break it down a bit. But let's have a look. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So in those days, you always told who you who it was that was writing we normally sign yours sincerely, Steve, right? But uh, in those days, it was typical that a person would write their name right at the beginning. So Paul greets them. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Uh, To call Paul an apostle means that he has been commissioned and sent with the authority of Jesus. If you meet anyone today who claims to be an apostle, disregard them. Because a person in those days who was an apostle was someone who was sent with the authority of Jesus Uh, and if you look in Acts chapter 1 when they were replacing Judas they realized they had to have 12. Uh, One of the qualifications was that they must have been an eyewitness of the resurrection. Now Paul knew that he was a different kind of apostle but he was an eyewitness of the resurrection because Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus uh and jesus specially taught him paul could say uh, at various places in his letters in second corinthians in galatians and in ephesians that he didn't learn his doctrine from any human he didn't knock on peter's door one night and say look peter i really want to get in your gang can you tell me everything i need to know about jesus he didn't do that because jesus taught him directly right so this is this is why this letter is so important it comes to us with someone who has the authority of jesus uh, he's 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 jesus agent and so he goes on to the saints who are in ephesus and are faithful in christ jesus now when i don't know what you think of when you see the word saint you might think football uh best not to right um you might think funny picture of person wearing Col- colgate ring of confidence around their head right don't think of that either a saint is not a special kind of christian You don't have to wait 1,500 years and have the Pope say, yes, we've got three miracles we can say here, until you become a saint. If you know Jesus as your saviour, according to the Bible, you are a saint. It means a person who has been made holy. Now, if you're anything like me, you'll look inside and say, I don't feel very holy. But you've got to understand that the way God sees you is he sees you through his son. and and Jesus was holy and so when he paid the price for your sins on the cross his holiness was credited to your account that's pretty good isn't it you won't get a better deal than that today right you might get a two-for-one offer at the pub for lunch but you won't get a better deal than that today right Jesus holiness has been credited to your account it's the great exchange and if that's the case then you are a holy one uh, which means you're a saint, you've been sanctified by Jesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Typical greeting, uh, it was normal in letters, all sorts of letters those days, you'd start off saying who who you were, you'd say who it was to and then you would have a prayer or a blessing. Uh, so a Roman soldier riding home from the front lines to mum Uh, would would tell who it's from he would say who it's to and then he would have a little prayer and so Paul follows the typical plan of the time grace to you and peace so it's a Greek greeting and a Jewish greeting grace um, God's favor and mercy given to people who don't deserve it and peace peace is the the Jewish word for peace peace is shalom have you heard that word before right it was fa- fashionable back in the 70s. In fact, I still know people who, who use the word shalom, you know. Um, it just sounds so much more sophisticated than saying peace. Uh, but shalom means wholeness. It means goodness. It means truth. It means everything the way it should be. So you can go to bed at night not worrying if a burglar is going to interrupt your dreams. Shalom. Right? So Paul wishes them grace and peace from God our Father and the lord jesus christ now these verses from th- uh, three, uh, 3 to 14 in the original it's one sentence that's a long sentence right and it's almost as though it just floods out of paul because he wants to get going he's writing to these people and it's like this this great hymn of praise and wonder and gratitude this sentence just tumbles out of him now in english it's been broken down into more manageable chunks. But in the Greek that Paul wrote in, it's one single sentence between 3 to 14. It just tumbles out of him. And so we can sum up this passage and say this. God is worthy of praise because of what he has done and the benefits that people like us who believe in him receive. So God is worthy of praise. So that's how Paul starts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Blessed there means to speak well of someone. Now, you can use it in a variety of different ways. We speak about God blessing us. Dear God, please bless mum and dad, right? We want God's good things for the people that we love, right? But we can also bless God because the same word can be used in a few different ways and what it means is to speak well of God. Well, it's good to speak well of God, isn't it? We've talked about this a bit as we've gone through the Psalms. When we praise something, it completes our enjoyment of that thing, right? Right? if you if you see a beautiful sunset it's nice to be able to talk about it isn't it right if you see a good movie and if you see it on your own it just doesn't seem right you want to have someone to talk to about it praise completes our enjoyment so it's good to praise god blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ now that's an interesting phrase in itself the god and father of our lord jesus christ Um, god was the father of jesus christ that's how jesus addressed god Uh, jesus told us to pray to god the father our father who is in heaven so that the, the correct formula for prayer according to jesus is to the father in the name of the son and we know that we pray in the power of the holy spirit but god has become our father because of what jesus has done for us and that's an important thing to remember you 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 and i cannot bowl up to god and say hey dad we have a right of, of access to God the Father only through his Son. And so Paul, in calling him the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's putting out a, a very important distinctive there. I heard a preacher called Rob Forsyth some years ago from Sydney. He was uh, speaking from Second Corinthians and, and Paul uses the same phrase there. And uh, Rob Forsyth said, I thought quite memorably and I think very helpfully, he says you might be wondering which god i'm talking about tonight he says i'm talking about the god and father of our lord jesus christ he says i'm an atheist about all the other gods there's only one god and that god has revealed himself through his son Uh, so if 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 you're ever challenged you know aren't all gods the same the answer is no they're not Uh, aren't all religions a good way to get to god well you know you'd really need to ask god that wouldn't you Are all religions a good way of getting to you, God? When he sent his son to die on the cross and all these other systems are equally good? It doesn't make sense. There's only one God and he has revealed himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what's he done? Why do we praise him? Well, he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Notice that. As you read through this book, there's a few words you really need to look out for one of them is all it's used 36 times and paul when he says all he means as much of something as it's possible to be and every is another way of saying something very similar so how much has god blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing right so is there any spiritual blessing that has been withheld from Mm. those who those who've come to god through christ any none now this is important too and this is worth underlining and it's worth filing away in your mind for when you have that awkward conversation with someone who says that your current experience of being a christian is inadequate i've had that i've had people who've said to me because i haven't done this because i haven't tried that my experience of christ is inadequate i need more and i need a topping up of the blessings How much more blessed can we be than that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing? Is it possible to go beyond that? Now that's our current level of privilege. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now this is a cosmic book. It, it, It goes from eternity past to eternity future. There's a lot that has come true in the present and there's some things that we have to wait for. But these spiritual blessings we enjoy to an extent now but they'll only become full when we're with God in, in the eternal state. Now that's where Jesus is at the moment and so those spiritual blessings are sort of kept in, in heaven's bank vault for us because that's where Jesus is. So they're spiritual blessings, not necessarily physical blessings. We're going to think a bit more about that in a moment. But these blessings are in the heavenly places and they're in Christ. And again, that's another phrase. If you were to read this book, look out for how often Paul uses all, but look how often he talks about in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Back when I was younger, I just used to think that was how missionaries signed their prayer letters, in Christ. It's actually a description of our status. Uh, I knew someone who uh, was badly troubled by the death of uh, a loved one. And uh, he he thought that he wasn't getting over it as quickly as he ought. And so he went to see a counsellor. And the counsellor said, Who are you? So he rattled it all off. I'm a father, I'm a brother, I'm a, you know, he went, and he says, No, but who are you really? And do you know what the answer to that question is? I'm in Christ. That's who I am. That's who you are. If you put your trust in Jesus, that is your identity. I am in Christ. Which means, where is Jesus now? Seated at the right hand of God on high. What's he doing? He's interceding for us. He's interceding for you and for me. He says, Father, I know that one they're one of mine and that's who we are so when the world says you don't matter when you wonder if you really account for anything at all you need to come back to these bedrock realities this is who you are this is who you've become Jesus paid a price for you who are you I am in Christ his righteousness has become mine. His holiness has become mine. I can stand before God on Judgment Day because his blood paid my debt. I am in Christ. In Second Corinthians, Paul says, I'm a new creation. Right? We're going to get to that later on. He, he speaks similarly. But that's our identity. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Even as he chose us in him, there's that again, In him, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. To be holy means to be set apart for God's special use. So that's how we need to see ourselves separate, different from the world. The world runs its own course. But Christians need now to understand that we've been chosen, we've been called, we've been set apart to be used by God. Uh holy and blameless blameless is a word that has to do with sacrifices you know in the old testament uh, they were were told to bring a sacrifice and you don't bring any old sheep you don't think uh, oh it's sacrifice time again let's get that lamb with the broken leg right we can do without that one no you didn't bring a crippled animal you brought the best sheep in the flock And, and so blameless is a word that has to do with Giving God all that we've got, not the fag end of a wasted day. We give God the best that we've got of ourselves. Why? Because we're in Christ and because we've been made holy by Him. Now, verses 5 to 6. So God's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, but verses 5 to 6 tell us that God has predestined us to be adopted as His sons. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Him Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What does it mean that he predestined us? Well, earlier on we've seen that he chose us and the two things go together. Chosen means to select. Uh, If you're given a box of chocolates and you get first dibs, you think, I'll I'll take that one. And you you take that one because you'd like it more than that one. So you're selecting, you're choosing. God has chosen us. God has predestined us to be adopted as his sons. Now, when it talks about being adopted, what that means is it means welcomed into his family with the full rights of a son. Now, in those days, um, Roman fathers were the head of the family, And they had rights over their children and their household that you and I couldn't imagine. Uh, Even up to the point of sanctioning the execution of a child who'd gone off the rails. So a Roman father was in charge of the household to an extent that we could barely imagine. But a Roman father could adopt a person who was not a natural-born child... And having been adopted, that child would now enjoy the same privileges as every one of the natural-born children. So when dad dies and the estate is divided up, the adopted child gets an equal share with all the others and they have no grounds for complaint. The adoptee has become a full member of the family and Paul is using that idea here. So we're going through all these privileges. Are you starting to feel privileged? Because with the blood of his son, God forgave your sins and he has welcomed you into his eternal family with the full rights of anyone. Now, we've just lost dear old Prince Philip. I don't know where he stood with God. I've got no idea at all. It's not my place to even venture a guess. But I do know that his flesh and blood... And he has an eternal soul. And no more or no less than any of us, he needed to make his peace with God through the Son. And he will not be accorded a better welcome than you or I when he gets there. Because, you see, the great leveller is the fact that each of us needs to be forgiven through the blood of the Lord Jesus. Now, what about this predestination bit? This is a bit that bothers people, the fact of being chosen and predestined. Can I just say this? When the Bible deals with the subject of of God electing, of choosing and of predestinating, whenever that comes up, and Jesus believed in it, whenever it comes up, it's done without embarrassment and it's never, ever defended. It's not as though Paul doesn't realise what he's saying here. He says, this is just the fact of the matter. This is how it is. Paul's writing to people that have put their trust in the Lord Jesus. He says, this is how you need to understand yourself. Your identity is new. It's in Christ. But that identity is something that God had ordained since the foundation of the world. He's chosen you. He's predestined you. <laughs> so before the, the, the doctrine of, of, of election is really this, that God, before creation, has, has chosen from the sinful fallen human race those he would redeem and bring to faith Um, except that it was God's initiative we we couldn't have come to him Um, God is free to do what he pleases he's sovereign completely in control we're without hope and without help unless he intervenes now we can sing all we like about grace but we don't understand it if we don't realize that we don't deserve it that's the whole point of grace Now, I'd like deep down to think I'm a pretty good bloke. And so when I hear that God loves me, I go, well, who wouldn't? (laughs) I mean, isn't that right? I think I'm pretty lovable. I just don't get it when people don't like me. But in my more honest moments, I'd have to say, no, there's a fair bit about me that's fairly offensive. right. But the thing is, God is perfect. He's holy in a way that we can't even imagine. That's why we talk about him being awesome. And his awesome perfection and holiness reacts against our sinfulness. And we don't know how offensive our sins are to God. It is a miracle that he accepts any of us at all. But he does. And that's grace. That's why we sing amazing grace amazing grace because it turns wretches into worshippers amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me elections all through the bible god chose abraham god chose israel he didn't choose the philistines he chose israel israel didn't choose the egyptians he chose israel jesus is the chosen of god we read that in luke chapter 9 and luke chapter 23 Jesus taught that no one can come to him unless the Father draws them. Jesus says in John 15, you didn't choose me, I chose you. So the doctrine of election is all through the Bible. Um, The Lord Jesus believed it, the apostles believed it. They didn't try to defend it, they weren't embarrassed about it, they just taught it because that's the facts, that's how it is. But Jim Packer, the great English theologian, he says... The doctrine of election is like the Christian's family secret. So can I urge you not to burst out down the street and say, I'm elect, right? They won't get you if you try it, right? But it's boastful. It's a reality that you keep tucked away because it's the the assurance, knowing that if God has chosen you and called you and worked in you, He will begin, he will finish what he's begun. So the doctrine of election is chiefly for our assurance, our reassurance, our confidence that what God has begun, he will carry on to completion. It's a mystery, I think, because I remember when I put my trust in Jesus, it felt very much like a decision I'd made. It did, and yet, looking back, I'd have to say no. It was God who was at work in me. So Harry Ironside um, wrote a book called Election and Predestination, and he likens it to this. He says there's this great mass of people walking along on life's highway, and there's a door that says enter here if you want to receive eternal life, and most people walk past it because they don't want to do that. But there's someone saying, come here if you want to receive eternal life. And above the door is inscribed words from Revelation 22, 17. Whoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Whoever will. That's above the door. And so someone thinks, yeah, I'm I'm tired of this life. It's not working. I really do need to be forgiven. I need to make my peace with God. I'm going through the door. And as soon as he gets through the door, he looks behind him and it says chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and the man says what has God has his heart fixed on me before the world came into being and the answer from the messenger is yes but you you could not find out about it until you got inside and so both are true whoever will may come but those who come will find that they've been chosen from the before the foundation of the world Uh, C.H. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said these two things are facts that don't need to be reconciled because they're both friends. Election, free will. He says they're like two tracks, two parallel lines that will only meet at God's throne in eternity. But they're both true and they both need to be understood. So whosoever will, but chosen in christ before the foundation of the world they're both true it's the family secret of god so that's what paul means when he says we've been predestined this god god has had in his mind to save people from before the foundation of the world it was his good pleasure to choose us if we put our trust in jesus well verses 9 to 10 go on god's made known to us the mystery of his will uh according to the purpose which he set forth in christ uh, People always want to know what God's will is, don't they? Well, here it is right here. And this is really a key to understanding the whole letter. Um, When Paul introduces his letters, usually he he flags right up front the big themes that he's going to be developing. And verses 9 and 10 really hold the key to the rest of the letter. So God is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth uh, everything's going to be brought to completion to fullness to unity to its true purpose in christ have you noticed that the world is a bit chaotic have you noticed that does the world ever cause you grief do you ever think to yourself ooh, it's getting worse right of course we live in a privileged country and we can't even imagine what it's like elsewhere i'm reading a book by a holocaust survivor at the moment Uh, He was a boy when he went into Auschwitz. And I think, oh, I've got nothing on him, right? Uh, But you notice every three or four years the politicians come at us again and they say, if you vote for me, I'll do this. They're all asking us to imagine a better world, aren't they, right? Nothing against politicians, they do their best. But they're never going to give us the world that we really want deep down. But the world that's described in verse 9 and 10 is the world that our hearts should be set on. This is the world that will fill our deepest desires, our deepest needs. Uh, The mystery of God's will is this, that in the fullness of time, he's going to bring everything together in Jesus. So the great king that the Jews were waiting for, who's going to rule and bring in God's perfect peace to the world, well, we've discovered that that's Jesus. And when Jesus returns, this plan is going to be brought together and all the things that have caused us grief will be done away with and there will be this order and this beauty and this peacefulness that will come about when Christ reigns eternally. Well, they're the things that God has done for us, the things that, and we praise him for it, But we also read that God is worthy of praise because what we've received through being in Christ. So back to verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So God's not a miserly giver. Um, He lavishes his grace on us. Redemption means that a price has been paid. The price was blood. Whenever you read the word blood, it's meant to conjure up in your mind pictures of substitution. Jesus took your place. The death he died on the cross was not his own, it was yours and mine. And because of that, we've been forgiven for our trespasses, our deliberate turning away from walking in God's way. And verse 11 in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works in all things according to the counsel of will of his will so that we who were the first to hope in christ might be to the praise of his glory we've received that we've received an inheritance the inheritance of being a full member of god's family verses 13 to 14 god is worthy of praise because of what we've begun to experience through the spirit in him when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him you were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory now the fact that we've been chosen the fact that we've been predestined it does require a response and you'll see it there Uh, verse 13 you believed you, you actually you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him and the result of that is that you were sealed. Now, if you are sealed, it means you're safe. You know what a seal is? Have you ever seen... Nobody writes letters anymore, but it used to be the case that, you'd, uh, that a person, to make sure that that letter wasn't tampered with, would put a dob of molten wax and then they would impress in the wax while it was still wet their personal seal. It was a sign of authenticity. And so if the letter comes to you and the wax seal's been broken... Then whoever bore the letter to you is in big trouble. The seal was a sign of authenticity. That's what God has in mind here. If you have believed the word of truth, and if you have turned to the Lord Jesus having heard it, then God has sealed you with His Holy Spirit. If you are sealed, you are safe. Now this, by the way, is picked up in Revelation. Uh, have you ever been worried about the mark of the beast? Don't be because if you've been sealed by the spirit you can't be marked by the beast so if you are where god lives by his holy spirit then you're sealed and you're safe and the spirit is a guarantee it's like the down payment you know when we want to secure something that we can't quite afford at the moment we go and put a deposit on it the spirit is given to us as a deposit of the future riches riches that are kept for us in heaven So we have these spiritual blessings now and and physical blessings will follow. Um, But why are we still reading these words? Why do we we read words of an apostle written so long ago to a culture that we can barely understand? Have you ever read someone else's mail? Because that's what we're doing. Why are we reading words that were written to Christians in what we would now call Turkey uh, almost 2,000 years ago? Normally, Paul wrote to address a need in the congregation. There's no particular need that jumps out when you read the book of Ephesians. Um, we do know, because he mentions it several times, that he was in prison when he wrote it. So he calls himself an ambassador in chains. Being in prison in the first century was no picnic. Uh, Paul would have been denied light. He would have been writing in, in a dungeon of some description. Uh, it would have stunk with um, the smell of other human beings relieving themselves. Uh, He would almost certainly have been beaten by the guards and probably by the other prisoners. Uh, He was living in in a desperately uncomfortable situation and yet his mind and his spirit is stirred by hearing about the Ephesians. He's already been to Ephesus, we can read that in Acts chapter 19, and he's created such a stir in the city that the people who make the little sculptures of Artemis, the great goddess of the Ephesians, they think if this Christian thing catches on, we'll be out of a job. And so they organise a riot, and Paul is beaten almost to death. Uh, he says in 2 Corinthians that they've heard of the trouble that he went through in Asia Minor. He says, effectively, we stared death in the face. So Paul may be in prison in Rome, or he may be in prison in Ephesus, but wherever he is, he's in prison. And he's writing this letter because he's heard of the faith of the Ephesians. He's seen it at first hand and he writes to encourage them to hold fast because they're living in a world where idolatry is normal and we're following a, a God that you can't see is completely abnormal. They're living in a world of mystery and magic and sorcery and spells. And Paul wants them to stand fast in that world where everything is stacked against them he wants them to be people of hope people who have a confidence about the future direction that their life will take now we need that encouragement too don't we so the ephesian church took this because it was written by an apostle they said these are words that come to us with the authority of jesus and they come to us with the authority of jesus As we read Ephesians, we'll realise that the forces that are against us are doomed. They will fail. They might hurt in the short term, but we've got spiritual treasure waiting for us. We're not promised any... There's no guarantee that we won't be hurt physically, but we are promised that God has lavished his grace on us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's predestined us to be adopted as his children with the full benefits of being sons. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. He's given us all these things because he sent his son to shed his blood for us. So we can be confident that our sins have been forgiven. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit who's the seal guaranteeing the full payment one day. So that's why we read Ephesians Paul the Apostle writing for prison to encourage people to stand fast in a world that's opposed to them and that's news that we need to hear even today let's pray Uh, loving father we thank you for your servant the Apostle Paul we thank you for the transforming work you did in his life when he met the Lord Jesus that day on the road to Damascus we thank you for the gifts that you gave him of being able to write these extraordinary letters we pray that you would help us to treasure them and to take them to heart and to learn the lessons that must be learnt. So we thank you for Jesus who shed his blood for us. We thank you that in him we can know forgiveness uh, uh, and and peace with you. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit uh, who seals our salvation and who is the down payment of all those blessings that we will one day receive uh, fully. But we thank you for the many blessings that you've lavished on us even now. Uh, Father, help us to... Uh, To live in the light of these great truths as people of hope, people of confidence and joy. Knowing that what you've begun in us, you will bring to completion. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.